I don't see how someone reads through the book of Genesis and says, oh yeah, someone just made this thing up. Craziness coming to that conclusion. That's the fingerprint of God all over it. Genesis chapter 33. We're going chapter by chapter right through the Old Testament. We've already been through Genesis to Malachi once and we're starting over again because it's so good. We love it. So thanks for joining this evening. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name uh, for this uh, wonderful book that um, we can just open up. And Lord, it's like a burnt offering. And in the Old Testament in Israel, they had a burnt offering in the morning and the evening of a lamb. And Lord Jesus, you were slain for us, the Lamb of God. And now we don't need the, the, the physical animal anymore to sacrifice but we can come and as your word says and offer our lives as a living sacrifice and open up your word and and be willing to surrender ourselves just as they did in Israel of old morning and evening saying okay whatever we're going to surrender to what you have this uh, this morning or this evening and and we do that this evening and uh, we just surrender to whatever your word's going to be uh, speaking to us Lord and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so right before, uh, right before Genesis, thank you, uh, chapter 33, we were in 32, came out of his mother's womb at the same time as his brother Esau, seconds before him, they were twins, Jacob, and he deceived him and stole the blessing, was so angry says that the only thing that was going to satisfy is a problem with it is that there's no, when we get bitterness and do our own payback. And so Jacob fleed. Thought he was going to flee for just down, but he was gone for 20 years. And he said, why don't we, um, why don't we have the, the map? Some sunny night we like maps. Sunny night wouldn't be sunny night without something up here. So he left this area right here. He fleed from Esau, went all the way up. Ooh, whoa, right there. Sorry, it didn't get that high. Um, <laughs> but went by Dan and way, 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 way up to um, Haran, which is modern-day Syria, and uh, ran into his relatives there. At one point, his grandfather Abraham had lived there, and... He had relatives there, and that's where he met Rachel for the first time. Agreed to work seven years for Rachel. Worked seven years. Rachel's uncle did the switcheroo and put Leah there. Jacob stunned that uh, he was deceived in the way he, ha he was. Laban says, well, what? You know, we're, you know, Leah's the older one. We don't do things like marry the first younger daughter. So work another seven years. So he worked another seven years and uh, received Rachel, and then stayed around six or seven more years, uh, not because he wanted to hang around, but because God told him to do so. In fact, Laban, his boss, was just a miserable uh, kind of boss. Oftentimes, the Lord will have us stay with miserable bosses in order to refine our characters. Uh, I find that so prevalent. And so um, God tells him to go back, and return, and so he decides to return, and so he is getting ready to go, and he's coming back. There's one little problem with re returning, and that is Esau, his older brother, last time he saw him, wanted to kill him. And he finds out that Esau had, was approaching with 400, an army of 400 men. And he basically is terrified, and in chapter uh, 32, he sends everyone uh, um, ahead, and he spends the night alone with God, and that's that famous passage of Jacob wrestling with God. He wrestles with God. And uh, God, the Son of God, it was Jesus. It was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. It says in verse 26 of chapter 32, let me go. For the day breaks. In other words, dawn's coming. This wrestling match is over. 
And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then he, God, Jesus, says, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be called Israel, for you have struggled with God and men and prevailed. And Jacob asked, tell me your name. He said, pray. And he said, why is it that you asked me um, my name? It says he blessed him there. But not before he had dislocated his hip verse 25 and Jacob walked away limping and it's and people ask well why does it say that Jacob prevailed against the Lord um, it, it, it actually doesn't say that it says that uh, you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed it doesn't say prevailed over God it just says prevailed in other words he went successfully through a trial with God and was victorious after it, walking with God, no longer fighting against God, but walking with God on God's terms. So so what happened here is where the Lord brings every man and every woman who he loves, he gets them to the point where they have no choice but to trust in him. Esau was coming with 400, an army of 400 men. He didn't have anything to go against that. And so all night he's wrestling with God. And that's what we do. We, we get to this point in our life where there is no going forward and we just have to wrestle with God. God, how am I going to get through this? I can't get through this. I don't have the strength. This isn't fair. I don't deserve this. And, and sort of wrestling through with God until the point where you say, okay, I've had enough. I surrender. That's what Jacob did. And that is what prevailing means. You cannot win against God. I, I, I always bring up this illustration. It's like fighting against a cliff. It's like um, boxing against a cliff. You're never going to win. He's always going to win. And, and, but, but this wonderful picture here of prevailing in this wrestling match in the sense that he walks away no longer fighting against God, walking with God. And when you've done that, you've prevailed. You haven't prevailed when you continue fighting against God. And so, verse cha- chapter 33, right after um, he's blessed, and right after this match, what happens? Right after he's victorious, his surrender to the Lord, what happened? He lifts up his eyes, and there, verse 1, chapter 33, Esau was coming, and with him 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, verse 2, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph in the last. And then it says, then he crossed over before them. He bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now, there's two ways to read that verse. Verse 3, Did it, it, one is that, he was bowing so Esau could see. Um, I don't think that's what happened. I think he's just bowing down to the Lord. And he bowed down seven times as they were, you know, approaching in the distance. He saw the army. And, and, and brothers and sisters, so often I'm in counseling and I just, and, and, and people, you know, present me their circumstances and they're hopeless. And, and, and I just say, all you have now is God. You just need to bow down before the Lord. You, you just need to get before Him and cry out. And, and strangely, oddly, it's exactly where God wants you. And it's exactly where you can start being used. And it's exactly where the Lord will begin to be victorious in your it's life. God, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Uh, maybe a corny expression. It happens to be absolutely true. It's, it's giving God the opportunity to work wonders in your life. And then wonder of wonders, verse 4, it says, Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Whoa, what happened there? You do have to commend Esau. Esau is presented in Scripture 
as a type of the flesh. He's, in, in, he's presented book, even in the New Testament in a very unfavorable way, but you have to commend him here. But what happened? So there's two possibilities. One is that he realized that bitterness against his brother was a big old waste of time and he wasn't going to bother with it anymore. That only he was suffering, which is what happens with bitterness. Only he was suffering. You know, when we're wronged against and we're bitter against someone who wronged us and we keep the bitterness, only we are the victim. That's the possibility. That's a possibility. And he finally realized that was a waste of time. That may have been what it was. I think there's a very good possibility because he was approaching for four, with 400 men that like the same thing that happened with Laban, remember Jacob stole away, he secreted away from his boss, his, um, his, his wife's uncle Laban, and then Laban said, hey, where are these people? And he went, meaning him harm. God appeared to Laban in a dream. I think it's, uh, and, and dissuaded him from um, doing Jacob any harm. I think it's entirely possible that the same thing happened with Esau. Or maybe it was a combination of, the bo uh, of both, where the Lord appeared to Esau and said, hey, look, you know, give up this bitterness. This is crazy. And, and so, but anyway, Esau runs to him, meets him, verse 5, and he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, who are these? So Esau's like seeing all these children. He doesn't know. Jacob was a fugitive the last time he saw him. He was running away. And um, Jacob said, the, the children who God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near and their children and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children and they bowed down. Afterward, where Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, what do you mean by all this company which I met? Meaning um, all these flocks that Jacob was essentially wanted to bribe Esau with. He wasn't going to, you know, Jacob's still a work in progress here. He's still under, under construction. When he left Esau, he was nothing but a liar, a cheater, who had never that we know of had any relationship with God. He's been developing a relationship with God over 20 years, but he's still struggling with the trust thing. And so he wanted to bribe Esau into not killing him by, by putting all these flocks ahead of him and presenting Esau with them. And, and Esau says, what's up with all these, these, these sheep here? This, he calls it a company. Um, and Jacob says, well, these are to find favor in your sight. A nice way of saying this is to bribe you. Um, but verse 9 says, Esau said, I have, ha I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God. And you were pleased with me. So the, giving him the benefit of the doubt, he's not just schmoozing him he's not just flattering him he's he's being humble it's like you know wow you know when i saw you it was like the face of god I, it's good to see you again brother verse 11 please take my blessing that god that is brought to you because god has dealt graciously with me and because i have enough so he urged and he took it and esau said let us take our journey let us go and i will go before you but Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me, and if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock, with the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord and see her. Now, what's, the wrong, what's wrong with that statement? Anyone have a problem with that? Seer is uh, down here somewhere. It's modern-day Jordan. It's where Esau went and settled. It's the land of Edom. Believe it or not, King Herod was an Edomite. He was converted to Judaism, at least pretended that he did, but uh, he descended from uh, Esau here. And the problem with this statement in verse 14 is it's a lie. <laughs> Jacob is reverting back to Jacob. His name had been changed to Israel, governed by God, 
but he goes back to behaving like uh, Jacob, which means supplanter or deceiver. He has no intention whatsoever to go here, even though he says to Esau in verse 14 that he was going to go down there. And uh, man, it's hard, you know, when we come to the Lord, when we come to God for the first time, he, he, he really, he seals us and he gives us a new name. He gives us a new name. Purchased by Christ. That's our new name. But oftentimes we're behaving like our old name, our old self. And praise the Lord for grace because God puts up with it. He loves us. And He's patient with us. But he, he, you know, even, even though he's been saved here by the Lord, even though he's had this wonderful experience with God, still behaving like the old Jacob, verse 15 says, now let me leave with some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in, thy, in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth build himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place of, is called Succoth. Anyone see that there? Oh, there it is. Okay, so they're traveling down here. Um, Esau goes out here. He starts hanging uh, here for a while. And then it says that Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. So he crosses the Jordan and comes to Shechem. And it says that, which is in the land of Canaan, verse 18, when he came there, he pitched his tent before the city and he bought the parcel of land. He purchased a parcel of land which he had, where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Olehe, Israel. So he goes to this place called Shechem and he buys land there. Now if you're students of the Old Testament, and I hope all you are, and if you're not, you're becoming one or you will become one, you'll understand that that's a problem. Abraham never bought any land except a burial plot for his wife. That's because he was told, he was given promises that one day all the land would be his, but it would be hundreds of years, and, that, and he was really instructed to be a pilgrim, a sojourner a dweller of tents. And we're told in the New Testament that in a sense we're the same way, although it's, we are permitted to, to purchase property um, and things like that. We're, we're, we're told we need to be sojourners, pilgrims, in the sense we don't let our heart be rooted in the world because there's always going to be a problem when our hearts become rooted in the world. In the Old Testament here, Jacob, he had no business buying land. But number two, he had no business buying land. It says in the land of the Canaanites, around the Canaanites, we're going to find that he's going to get into a ton of trouble here by buying a piece of land there, putting his roots there, because that's not where the Lord wanted him. He's going to settle down eventually in Hebron, which is where God wants him, which is where his family was. He was told when he left Haran, which is way up here, go back to the land where your, um, where your relatives, the people of your father, dwell. That was not Shechem. That was down here. You'll see Bethlehem, Hebron here. That was down in that area. The problem was, is Hebron down here, it's sort of a desolate area. Shechem was right in, in the valley, very lush valley. Reminds us a lot of who? Shout it out. Lot. Very good. What did Lot do? He chose to live right outside of the land of Sodom. The next thing you knew, he was in Sodom and had to be rescued there. Well, there's going to have to be another rescue here. He has no business 
buying a plot of land right outside Shechem, which was like Sodom, maybe not quite as bad. It was a wicked city. It was a wicked place. So let's go. Let's find out what happens. There's always going to be consequences when we root our heart into the world. Particularly after we've been called out of the world. And many of us have had this experience where we've been called out of the world, but then after a few years, we decide, no, I can root a little bit of my heart back into it, and then we find out the hard way. But uh, here we're going to learn um, uh, that there are serious consequences for that. Chapter 34 says, now Dinah. Now, every time I read that, now as someone who has become a student in the Word of God, it, it makes me shudder. This is called, some of you may have the, uh, have a little subtitle above it, the Dinah Incident. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. She was very naive. She had grown up in a very safe place. And she's thinking, oh, Shechem, this place, I'm just going to go and check out the daughters of the land. And it says that when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. Really, the word is rape because um, the word violate there in the Hebrew, it means to afflict against her will. She's just this innocent girl, used to be in a very innocent environment. He raped her. His soul was strongly attached to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. You know, hey, I know this, this rape just happened and you're probably feeling incredibly violated and uncomfortable, but hey, I really love you. Started speaking kindly to her. And it was sincere. We're going to find out. It was, he's not kidding here. This is not a joke. He really did um, in a fall for her. And so... Um, Shechem spoke to his father Hamar and said, get me this young woman as a wife. Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. So he's really upset. He's extremely angry. Jacob is. Now, it happened because, you know, when we make, particularly as parents, when we disobey God, oftentimes our kids will have to suffer the consequences. Now there's grace in there. Will, this story's not over until chapter 49 of Genesis. The story is not over, but um, the, the kids are, 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 have already been, and this is a consequence of their father's uh, disobedience. And it says that... Um, Give me this. It says Jacob heard was he was angry. He held his peace, man. He held his temper until his kids came back. Verse six. Then Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to meet Jacob and speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field. And when they heard it, that the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. Well. It's typical, though, of Canaanite. It's typical Canaanite behavior. And it's what happens when you pitch your tent right in the middle um, of the Canaanites. <clears throat> you know, the, Jesus says that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. He says we're supposed to be a friend of sinners, but we're not to be of their behavior. We're, we're supposed to be affecting them, not the other way around. And when we find that they're affecting us more than we're affecting them, that's, it's time to cool out, withdraw, and say, oh, I need to be a little built up more in Christ before I have these people a part of my life anymore. But here, um, uh, you know, the, the damage uh, done here and... It, it says in verse 8, Hamor the, Hamor the king, he's the king of this city, Shechem. Shechem goes by his son's name. Uh, spoke with them saying, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell in and trade in it 
Acquire possessions for yourselves in it. And Shechem said to her father and her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me, but give me the young woman as a wife. Verse 13, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamar and his father and spoke deceitfully. Now right here, your if your alarm bells are going off, they should be, Jacob should be speaking here. Not his sons. Jacob should be speaking and dealing with this situation. But, you know, there's another sermon, another message that we dealt with in past weeks. His, his house was a mess. He, he had had kids by, was it four women here? There's infighting in his home. And... The kids have more or less taken over the house, the leadership of the house. And that always leads to big trouble. It says they answered Shechem deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do these things to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised every male not just kids babies who are eight days old every male go through the rite of circumcision verse 16 then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people but if you will not heed us and be circumcised then we will not take our daughter and be gone. This is just a big plot. It's a big ploy. Let's read on. And their words pleased Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son. So the young man did not delay to do this thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamar and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, these men are at peace with us. So they're speaking about the, Jacob's sons. They've been deceived here. And they say, these men out there, they're at peace with us. Let's let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters um, to us as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamar, and Shechem, his son, every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. Now, that must have been, Shechem and Hamar must have been some seriously convincing people. They just convinced every male in their city to be circumcised, to go under the surgery, under the knife. And no, notice here, you, you know, this deal that had been agreed to intermarrying these Canaanites who were, were wicked people. They, they were not people of God. They, they were um, people who, again, like a rape was just like a normal thing. Hey, there's a young maiden. Let's take her in and rape her. They're wicked people. And the thing here that should not escape your notice is that Jacob didn't know that his sons were speaking deceitfully. Jacob And Jacob doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word about this arrangement in which his grandchildren and grandchildren's children are going to intermingle and they're just going to intermingle with these um, Canaanite women and Canaanite men and what always happens when that happens 
the faith in God is diluted and it's done away with. That's why in the New Testament it says, do not be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. Don't marry an unbeliever or otherwise be yoked with them because, you know, what does Satan have in common with Christ? You're going to, your faith, your first love, which is God, you're no longer going to be able to follow God. You're going to be yoked because you're going to be yoked with someone who doesn't follow God. And, and here this is, this is the bloodline of the Messiah, right? Jesus is going to show up eventually in this bloodline. Jacob had been told the promise, same promise that Isaac had been told his father, and same promise that Abraham had been told, that through your seed all nations of the world will be blessed. Speaking of Jesus, Messiah. And here is Jacob, who is keeping his mouth shut when the whole thing is being put at risk. Because this is how a community, this is why ethnic community, this is why it's such a miracle that the Jews are still a race today and it, it, in place, an, eth, an ethnic race in place, even after thousands of years. You do all your history work and your anthropology work and you'll see that usually um, a race like that is assimilated into the general population once, particularly what, if they don't have a concentrated land like the Jews, within a number of generations. And it's because of this type of thing. It's because this is usually what happens. And so, but Jacob is saying nothing. He's just agreeing to the whole thing. He's letting his kids lead. And, and, and so they agree to this. And then what happens? So all the males are circumcised. So they're all recovering from the surgery. Verse 25, when it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain... They were in serious pain. The two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his... These were full-blooded blo- full brothers of Dinah. They had the same mother. Each took his swor- sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males because the males couldn't defend themselves. And they killed every one of them. And they killed Hamar and Shechem and his son with the edge of the sword. And they took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city. So the two of them killed everybody. And then they went back and told their brothers what they did. And the brothers were like, they didn't rebuke them. How could you have done this thing? Oh, wow, this is cool. Let's go and steal all the goods of the city. This is what happens, you know, with... You know, people say, oh, why doesn't the Bible condemn polygamy? Are you kidding me? The Bible does condemn polygamy. This is what happens. Jacob's four wives. This is the craziness. All the infighting had led to kids who were out of control with their behavior. And so they go in and they steal everything from the city. They plunder the city. Verse 28, they took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, they took captive and they plundered even all that was in their houses. Then then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me. See, he didn't know about this. He didn't know this was going to happen. You have troubled me. You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed, my household and I. It's interesting here how Jacob is so troubled. Why? Because now his life's in danger. Well, what about all the murder? That's what about all the widows now in the city? What, what about all the, the, just the deceit that had just happened? Jacob had bought a piece of land outside of Shechem, just like Lot and moved in outside of Saul. And what's interesting here is he's in Hebron, and if you, if, you, if you really look at the map, he actually, when he came all the way to Shechem from where God had told him to come, it was 90% of the way. He's 90% obedient, but guess what? 10% obedience Rather, uh, 10% disobedience might as well be 100% disobedience. 10%, 90%, 90%, another way of saying 90% obedience doesn't work. 
brothers and sisters. It never does. We have to be fully obedient to the Lord. One of the best books in the Bible to read about obedience, perhaps the best actually, is the book of Deuteronomy. The whole thing is about obedience. And the whole thing with, uh, with, about Deuteronomy is if you're 100% obedient to the Lord, he's going to bless your socks off. But if you're not 100%, if you decide to be 90%, it's going to be a big, gigantic mess you're going to make of your life. And that's what he did, 90% of the way. Oh, Lord, you know, I've, you know, I've done this thing. I've come 90% of the way. And then he, what does he do? He builds an altar. We saw that. This is so often what we do in our disobedience. We take some job. We know we're not supposed to take it, but hey, it pays twice as much. And we say, oh, you know, I know I really shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to tithe, you know, 20% instead of 10%. And we try to make ourselves, you know, comfort ourselves by being more religious. No. God could care less about 20% if you are of your money. He can care less about 100% of your money if you aren't being 100% obedient to him. And, 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 and so Jacob's got himself in just a gigantic mess. And what do they say? Verse 31. They responded to their father, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Hey, look, you know, the Bible says vengeance is the Lord's. When we take our own vengeance, this is what we do. We overdo it. We go way too far. We wind up you know, God can come in with his, his those adventures of the Lord kind of reminds you of these missiles now, that crazy technology. I mean, there's these missiles that they have now. They're like video games. I mean, you know, they can like, these missiles, we can send them over, you know, into whatever, Saddam Hussein or whatever, and, he, 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 and it can go right inside like a silo, practically, of a, of an, a weapons facility and, and blow up the cellar of it. I mean, just the, the amount of direction is unbelievable. And that's how the Lord is with his vengeance. If they had left the vengeance to the Lord, he would have done his thing. I'm not sure what he would have done, but the Lord will do it no matter how bad you've been wronged. Don't try to get vengeance on your own because you're going to overdo it and you're going to make a big old mess. The Lord will take care of things. He will. But anyway, so here you have it. Chapter 35 is just such a phenomenal chapter of the grace of God. Jacob has messed up just unbelievably here. Even after God has blessed him so much, has given him these, um, these children of his, has given him all this wealth, even though he was a liar, even though he was a deceiver, God has appeared to him, has given him all kinds of promises. He's got the blessing of God on his life, and, and he has made such a catastrophic mistake of... Um, buying land right outside this wicked city and then agreeing to a ridiculous compromise that his sons uh, compromised with, with the people of the city, uh, and then has got himself in a heap of trouble. But once again, the grace of God, God comes in in chapter 35, verse 1, and says to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Where is Bethel? Bethel is the place where God first met Jacob when he had just lied, cheated, and stolen from his father and brother, had no relationship with God. He was out in the middle of, God, of, of uh, nowhere, and God appeared to him. And he saw a ladder going to heaven with the angels of God coming down and going up. And God, there's a visitation from God at the time of Jacob's life where he deserved it the least. And here, again, here's the God of grace. He says, go back to Bethel. Go back to your first love. Go back to where I first met you. Here's Bethel right here, where Jacob had been 20 years before. Go to that place. 
and dwell there. Make an altar there to God, verse 1, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Verse 2, wonderful verse. God appears to Jacob again, tells him, go back to the place where I first met you. I want to, I love you. I want to talk with you there. Jacob's response to that is wonderful. He goes to his family, and really for the first time ever, says, put away your foreign gods. Put them all away. Purify yourselves and change your garments. And, you know, I know I have a lot of young folks in here. There's some exceptions. But you're going to, you know, with kids, this is an important principle if you've made mistakes with your kids, raising your kids, you've allowed your kids to bring stuff into your house that never should be, have been allowed in the house. Music in the house never should have been allowed. Garments. It says put away your garments. Change your garments. You've, you've allowed your daughters things that never should have been allowed in the house. You've allowed the worship of, st of stuff of the world or whatever in your house. It is never too late to take control of your house. And as we'll see a little later in this chapter, God blesses it. And yet there's going to be conflict. And the conflict it, it may be significant, but you need to take care of your house. It's God's house. It's not your house. Take charge of your house if you've made mistakes. There's grace there for you and for your kids. It's never too late to do that. And, and he does that here. And then he says, arise, we're going to Bethel. We're going to church. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do that. And obviously, he's got some seriously unspiritual kids there. He's saying, I'm sorry, we are going to church, whether you like it or not. Some people, uh, I, I'm always shocked at parents giving their kids the option of whether to come to church. That is ridiculous in the extreme. Give your kids an option of going to church? You take your kids to church. Now, when they're 18, they're, they can decide whatever they want to do. But um, you take your kids to the house of God. Oh, well, they don't really want to come. Who cares? It's not their decision. It's your decision. God says that he wants your kids in church. And so we're going to Bethel. Just really a wonderful picture. Verse 4, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. doesn't mean there's something wrong with, with earrings, but these earrings had been symbols of pagan gods and this type of thing, and it, it, it's, it's a great picture of the cross to come. He lays them down all and buries them underneath the tree. It's just like your sin. We just we go, to, go to the cross and we say, look, I got this, I got this, and I got this, and we're going to bring it all to the cross, and we're just going to leave it there because it was all paid for there at the cross. It was all paid for. The sin was paid for, and, and Jesus resurrected, so we no longer have to hold on to us. He's given us the power to let go of sin. It's a great picture there um, of the cross. And they journeyed, verse 5, and the terror of the God was upon the cities who were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So they weren't a big company of people, but God does this. He knows how to get the job done, and he puts the terror of them on the cities so the cities wouldn't come out. These cities had found out what they had done to Shechem. Um, and under normal circumstances, without the favor of God, the cities would have just descended upon them and killed them all. But this is the terror of the Lord was upon them. So um, they did not pursue the sons of Jacob, verse 6. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the, the people who were with him, he built an altar there called the place El Bethel, the house of God, which is what it means, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and <clears throat> she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Elon 
Baca. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said, this is wonderful, God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So what does he do? He repeats, he tells him again that same thing he had told him in chapter 32 before Jacob had gone out and made a gigantic mess of things. God had given him a new name. You're you're governed by God now, Jacob. And Jacob goes and messes up anyway, but God still comes back and says, no, remember, you're governed by God, and this is what's so important. When After God has touched you in your life, but you go out and make a mess of things, don't think, well, that all the promises of God that God gave me are null and void now. That's not the grace of God. That's not what God is about. The promises of God are unconditional. That's what makes them different than man. The Bible says that God's ways are so much above our ways. Higher than heaven is um, um, above the earth are God's ways above man's ways. He comes right back and he tells them, remember, you're governed by God. I had told you that. And, and not only that, it says he called his name Israel, but then in verse 11, he repeats the very same promises he originally had given to him. I believe it was in chapter 28. And it says, he, it says to him in verse 11, um, he says, um, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you. I give this land. So he repeats those promises that had been um, given to him um, earlier. And so again, even though um, some terrible things had happened, that he had done terrible things, that he had messed up uh, really, really bad, God is just repeating those promises to him. You're still my guy. I still have a work that I want to do with you. Verse 13, then God went up from him in the place where he walked with him. So Jacob set a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel, meaning house of God. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored, in childbirth, and she had a hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, she called his name Ben-Ani, but his father called him Benjamin. Ben-Ani means son of my sorrow. But Jacob changed his name to son of my right hand, which is Benjamin. And, and, and you know, when the trials of life happen, and, and by the way, just so another whole lesson here, when God has blessed you, when he has reaffirmed his promises to you, or maybe you've been saved for the first time, doesn't mean that there's not going to be serious, serious, serious trials and troubles in your life. The life with Christ, there is no promise that we will be without trouble, but there is a promise that God will be with us in the trouble. And, and that's, that's the whole sense here of the name Benjamin. He's, God's at my right hand. Yeah, yeah, sorrows have been. Remember how much he, he loved Rachel. He worked for seven years. Actually, 14 years for this woman. He loved her. And, um, and she's, she, she died. Terrible tragedy. But he got this son. She died, she died giving birth to him. And it's just a wonderful picture of someone who now understands the grace of God so much better than when he left this area 20 years before. And, he, and, and, and calls Benjamin, son of my right hand. Verse 19, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. 
that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day, which is one of the indications this is this book was written very, very early in time. This is thousands of years ago. Verse 21, Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land, and Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So his firstborn, Reuben, sleeps with Bilhah, who is one of his concubines. This is an... Uh, really an outrageous violation here. And it says, now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father's Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron. So that's where he was supposed to be. So in verse 27, he finally makes his way uh, down to Hebron. Hebron was, um, is going to be the seat for a while of, of the kings, um, uh, uh, the king of Judah, eventually. And that's David's, when David is made king of Israel, at first, that's where he dwelled in Hebron. He was eventually, after seven years, he went to Jerusalem. <clears throat> but then, uh, uh, verse 27, uh, Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjath Ara, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now, it's very interesting that 21 years, or rather 43 years before, um, Jacob, uh, Isaac was uh, convinced he was about to die. And here he is uh, 43 years later, and he, is, um, he dies here. And Esau and Jacob, uh, they come together, <clears throat> and... Uh, they buried him, so their conflict uh, is is put to an end here. So, uh, just final little word. This this you know Jacob comes back to the Lord, but sometimes you know the consequences of our past sin, or not sometimes with all of us, the, we'll, we'll live with the consequence. Our sin is paid for, but we'll continue to live with some of the consequences of our sin. His son Reuben sleeps with one of Jacob's uh, concubines. And uh, Jacob's not going to forget about this. In chapter 49, when he uh, gives his blessings to his different children, he's, Reuben doesn't get a whole lot at all. <laughs> and in, and he's, he's basically says, you're Reuben, you're unstable as water. And then this appears to be Reuben. It's just a lack of self-control, you know, here. Jacob's going to continue to live with some of the consequences of, of the mistakes uh, in uh, you know, in his past, of of not taking control really of the discipline of his family, or allowing idolatry in the, his family, but God is with him, and he's growing, and he's under construction, and he's growing up though in the Lord, 